Welcome to Reality Check. I'm Jeannie Allen. Challenging debate on the state of education today. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Reality Check again. This is Jeannie Allen. Thanks so much for joining me. The company called edX is probably the most important educational innovator and provider of quality learning opportunities that our guests have ever heard of. Anand Argawal is the CEO of edX. He's got a distinguished educational background, too long to mention, but here's one impressive fact. He taught the first edX course at MIT in circuits and electronics, which drew 155,000 students from 162 countries. It's such a pleasure to welcome Anant to our podcast. How are you doing today, Anant? I'm very well. Uh, thank you for the kind words, Jeannie. Well, you're welcome. I, um, I'm fascinated, as you know, continue to be by the growth and in innovative higher education organizations. And I know that as, as ubiquitous as it seems and it is in so many places globally, I know that we still have to help our friends out there get a little bit more up to speed about what it's all about. So essentially, why edX? Uh, thank you for, uh, for this conversation, Jeannie, and looking forward to it. You know, virtually every field known to mankind has been transformed by digital. Everything from retail to transportation to hospitality to gaming has been completely transformed. Uh, we are trying to do the same for education, applying digital technology to learning, uh, which will help transform learning for students and people everywhere. Um, edX is a nonprofit. We are the only nonprofit uh, MOOC destination out there. Um, we have grown to uh, nearly 18 million students from every single country in the world. Uh, our partners, such as uh, MIT, Harvard, Oxford, uh, IBM, Microsoft, and others, offer these amazing courses and learning programs on edX. And these 18 million students uh, take the courses. Uh, we also partner with companies that have their employees uh, take the courses as part of edX for business. Uh, but this transformation is very important. As we are bringing a digital platform technology to education, uh, that enables us to offer education at scale with high quality to any part of the world. You know, education being a human right, uh, you know, we certainly felt that it's about time that technology was brought to bear on one of the most pressing problems of our generation. And do you see online education as competition to on-campus learning, as complementary to it? Completely complementary. As we transform education through technology, uh, not only do we provide access to uh, students all over the world and to corporations to upskill their employees, you know, in a, in a world where half of today's jobs will be gone over the next 15 years due to automation, uh, these online courses enable people to flexibly upskill at incredibly low cost with new credentials like professional certificates and uh, micro-masters programs. At the same time, uh, the same digital innovation that powers edX is being used on campuses across all our partner universities and beyond where students on campus also benefit from the digital learning experience. So it's not just about offering courses to people as far away as Mongolia, but it is also to transform campuses. So just as one example, on campus in the past, um, if you were given homework, you may get your homework graded you know, back if you're lucky, say two weeks from then. Right. However, today with online technology using edX, you can get instant feedback as a learner. You get a green check mark if your answer is correct or a red, or a red cross if it's not correct. And so 
So the instant feedback provides an element of gamification, and our students are telling us that it really energizes them to do homework. So this is just one example of a myriad set of examples of how digital technology is transforming campus education as we know it as well. And yet so many people are still skeptical that they can learn with an online course. And I, and I have a hard time, other than giving them my own experience with it, which was great, I have a hard time explaining to them how online can actually ac- increase, in some cases, your connectivity. You know, this is not unusual whenever there's a uh, major digital revolution happening, uh, when uh, um, <laughs> when steam engines is replaced, uh, replaced the stagecoaches. Uh, people said the same in, same of steam engines. They said, you know, uh, nothing like a set of horses pulling a carriage. Uh, similarly, uh, when people went to you know, digital shopping uh, through online retailers or e-tailers like Amazon, um, people certainly said, oh, you know, it's, it can happen for books, but it will never replace grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Uh, most of grocery shopping uh, is a mix of online and in-person trade. Similarly, I think that very quickly people will realize the quality of online education, and it will be right next to campus education as a value-added proposition for students. And I think one reason why online learning has had a bad rap in the past was, you know, although it's been around for 20, 30 years, in the past it was the province of for-profit companies. And with the quality was not that all that great. And there were many predatory practices from for-profit institutions, uh, high-priced predatory practices. Uh, for the first time um, in the recent past, nonprofits have gotten into it. Um, certainly edX is a nonprofit online learning destination. And the likes of incredibly prestigious institutions like Berkeley and MIT and Harvard, uh, University of California, San Diego, UT Austin, Oxford, and others are now doing it. And all of this has happened where these prestigious institutions have gotten into it in the last six or seven years. And so today's digital education is not your grandfather's online learning. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that very quickly, uh, the skeptics will come around. So, uh, you know, let's contrast this with what happens with traditional campus education. So with campus education, you know, you have to wake up early in the morning and go to lecture. Uh, when I was an undergraduate at 8 o'clock in the morning, and that was the bane of my life. <laughs> uh, with, with Me too. Learning, you can learn when you want. Uh, it's completely flexible. In fact, we are seeing on edX uh, that most of the videos and, and the learning experience is accessed between midnight and 2 a.m. So why are we dragging people to class at 8 o'clock in the morning? Uh, the second part of the experience, as I said earlier, is instant feedback. On campus, you submit the homework, and if you're lucky, you get feedback two weeks later. Imagine how exciting video games would be if when you took a virtual shot at a basketball hoop, the game told you, come back in two weeks, and I'll tell you whether you succeeded. Right. With online learning, you get instant feedback. And that really provides an element of gamification to learning. And is there an area for students also to communicate with one another if they're taking the same course? Absolutely. We bring community into it. Uh, In a traditional classroom, you know, um, if you talk to each other, the professor will call you out. I had a professor who would throw a little piece of chalk at you. Um, However, with online learning, 
we have discussion forums on edX, and those are an integral part of our platform. In fact, uh, uh, we were the first MOOC platform in 2000, uh, in early 2012, when we made discussion forums an integral part of the learning experience, right? In other words, even today, uh, discussions among people uh, happen right next to the video, so that community is part of the learning experience, and we, we recognize something that students have been doing all along. And this is, again, a, a very important social aspect of learning that we bring into online education. Interesting. I was teaching at one point, I was teaching a class and uh, for CER, Education Reform University, and I remember first like talking and seeing people and then watching this chat room fill up, and they were discussing different things I was talking about. And first I was like, are they paying attention? And then I realized they were so far ahead of me that I had to speed up to respond to their interests because they had read the material and they wanted to take the conversation somewhere else, which you rarely would get in a classroom unless you were, let's say, Socratic dialogue, which is rare. Oh, it's, it's uh, incredibly exciting. Let me tell you a story. Uh, when we first launched edX, my colleagues and I taught the first course on edX. We had uh, 155,000 students taking it. And so we were, so we thought we would have to be on 7 by 24 asking, answering questions on discussion forums. So one night at 2 a.m., I saw a student ask a question. And as I began typing out the answer, I'm not a fast typist, I noticed that some of the students uh, from another country had popped in with an answer, which was not quite correct. And so I began correcting that answer. <clears throat> but before I could complete my typing, yet another student from another country had popped in with an answer. And, and, and so I sort of sat back fascinated as students discussed among themselves and by 4 a.m. had come up with the right answer. And all I had to do was go in and say, good answer. It, it was absolutely amazing where students were learning by teaching. It's ultimate collaboration, which for years people said was the key. Having your own agency and collaboration was the key to getting a great education. And you know, the K twelve system response to collaboration was just to put a bunch of desks together and make kids look at each other, which of course you know is not necessarily the best way to do it. In higher ed, it was to have tables and you walked in, right? But it really, it's about having the forum. It sounds like you're saying to yeah. expose students to one another and the ability to answer each other's questions. Absolutely. So the forums enable students to, uh, to ask questions and, and answer questions from each other. Uh, you know, often they don't have to uh, indicate who's asking the question so that they can be anonymous and uh, people, anybody can answer the question. So it's, you don't have to be sitting on the front bench to, to be able to ask a question. And more than that, we also use the same community uh, to enable peer evaluation, where for open response questions like essays and so on, and for uh, you know examples like case studies, you know people grade each other and assess each other as well. So it's amazing how we can leverage the community and sort of crowdsource uh, not just learning but also grading. Anand Argarwal is my guest. He's the CEO of edX. Anand, it would seem again that online learning. Uh, especially of high-quality courses, would threaten the on-campus students and uh, maybe the online presence. But it doesn't sound like that's happening when you look out across the U.S. Uh, that is correct. Um, you know, at first blush, you might seem that uh, digital education and online learning would threaten uh, the campus. Um, you know, certainly, you know, if you are a campus or a university or a college, that is, you know, that has your head buried in the sand 
and not looking at innovation, I do believe that uh, it will be threatening. Right. However, you know, we have uh, 140 institutional partners, um, you know, universities, corporations, other nonprofits, and they are all innovating. And why are they doing that? You know, they're doing that because they're seeing that digital education is going to become part of the repertoire of education going forward. And they really need to be part of it. You know, just as one example, if you look at Walmart today, so Walmart is investing heavily in online retail in addition to its uh, bricks and mortar stores. So the future of education is omni-channel. Right. Digital, online, and in person, uh, just like retail is. That's another channel. It's a great way to put it. So talk to us about some of the credentials. The, you mentioned micro masters recently. Is that a new evolution uh, of the online learning world? And how does that work? You know, our education system has offered the same kind of products, if I might use the term, um, for decades. You know, they've offered bachelor's degrees and master's degrees uh, and PhDs. However, if you look at the world today um, with a significant part of jobs going away and new jobs coming in place, people need to move towards lifelong learning and become lifelong learners. In such a situation, let's say I'm in my 30s with a family, you know, what are the odds that I'm going to be able to go back to college for two years or one year, spend fifty or $100,000 and get a new degree? Mm-hmm. Virtually zero. So in order to meet the demands of the new world of work and learning, we have launched a number of new modular credentials called MicroMasters and professional certificates. Uh, the MicroMasters, for example, is about 25% of a master's degree. It's completely online. You can take it flexibly. It's open admissions. There's no admissions as such. And for about $1,000, you can earn a MicroMasters in a short amount of time. Um, for example, you can pick up a MicroMasters in AI from Columbia University. Hmm. Um, and you can do it completely online. Uh, without having to uh, step foot on a uh, campus. And so these credentials are flexible, they're low cost, you can do it while you're working. And after you get the credential like the MicroMasters, if you decide you do want to get a full master's degree, you can apply to campus and or online and apply the credits from the MicroMasters towards the full degree, whether the degree is online or on campus. That's fantastic. Uh, that makes a whole lot of sense for all the reasons uh, you described and more, which is that sometimes people just don't try something that they think they might like or good at because they would have to put the expense in. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's a really good point. I remember uh, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, you know, my, my father, we were asking you know, my father, hey, uh, you know, we want to go and buy Encyclopedia Britannica, one of these big encyclopedia sets, and it came with 50 books and cost, you know, probably my father's income for the better part of a year. And so really hard to invest all that money. Uh, However, imagine that if you could buy one or two or three or four of those books and you liked them a lot and then decided to invest in the whole thing if you really felt like it. So the ability to dip your toe in the water uh, and check it out and see if it's for you before you invested in the whole thing. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and to a lot of people, uh, just a smaller micro credential like the micro masters may be all they need for their work. You know, our learners are posting these credentials on uh, LinkedIn and on their resumes, and 91 percent, 91 percent of the micro masters earners are telling us that 
those credentials have already helped them with the career advancement, whether it's a pay raise, a new job, or a promotion. And that's what I was going to ask you about. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, business and industry, just employers in general, are really the ones that are largely responsible for people chasing a degree in a particular area. By the way, I'm a huge fan for people to go as far as they possibly could with degrees because I think at the end of the day, there's so much value um, unless it's just an awful environment. But the reality is there are some people who are just chasing that degree because they think that particular degree is needed from an employer for that advancement. So we have to change the way employers are thinking about this so that they accept something like a micro degree or a certificate. Kind of how do we bridge that gap? I think we have to have the conversation with employers. I mean, the HR departments today have a checkbox. You know, does this person have a bachelor's degree? Does this person have a master's degree? I think we need to change mindset and look at where the learners are going. And the learners are voting voting by their uh, feet. You know, we've already had uh, over 4 million learners taking our micro-master's programs. And so, uh, you know, you go to some of the big employers, uh, tens of thousands of their employees are already taking edX programs like micro-master's. And I think we really need some of the HR departments to look at where their employees are going, how their employees are talking with their feet, and follow and recognize some of these credentials as a very valuable entry point into the market in addition to full degrees. So this is an entirely uh, private, nonprofit effort. Are there ways that states or the federal government can enable uh, more and better outcomes from these kinds of innovations? Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, uh, in the case of education, uh, it is not any one individual, even if it's a nonprofit like edX. Um, I really like to say it's not even a village. Uh, I think it takes a planet in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, uh, the government uh, and other accrediting agencies can help. One is by recognizing these credentials so that employers in turn recognize them. Um, second, to enable financial aid, uh, not just for degrees but also for these novel new credentials. You know, the the assumption is that financial aid is used to help people gain the skills they need uh, to get jobs and live their lives. And so uh, I think uh, they should make available financial aid for any kind of quality learning and not just full degrees. Particularly, the micromasters cost about $1,000. Each micromasters is about 25% or 50% of a master's degree. And uh, you know, in terms of cost, it's pennies on the dollar. And so um, to a lot of students, they may not even need the financial aid. But that said, I think it would be important for the government to recognize these new credentials uh, so that employers then in turn recognize it as well. Well, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, when you think about how Again, financial aid tends to only follow matriculated students, those enrolled in degree-granting institutions, and it goes to them regardless of outcomes and oftentimes turns into debt. So if a credential in a shorter period of time is more likely to drive someone towards 
an outcome that's beneficial, it, yeah, it's a why not, right? And so this goes back to an ongoing conversation we've had and I have with people um, on this show and in my work day to day, there is this status quo thinking that is sometimes so hard to break. But as you said, um, like all innovations, uh, eventually there will be a disruption and it'll break. I think we just have to keep showing people um, what is possible. I could not have said that better, Jeannie. I think uh, there's innovation happening here. And I think that universities, colleges, employers, governments recognize that there is innovation. And uh, innovation requires policies change as well. You know, look at the internet. When the internet came about, uh, there were a lot of antediluvian laws on the books uh, that suddenly uh, became, uh, you know, really antiquated uh, in light of internet technology. And so policymakers had to revisit and rethink a lot of those. Similarly, as a digital innovation begins to spread across education, it's important that we look across our own policies and revamp and upgrade those that don't make sense in light of uh, technology anymore. Yeah, that's so true, which is probably why I would love you to share uh, what this new prizes that you got, and it, and it was based on kind of innovation, revolutionizing education. Is it the Yadan Prize? That's correct. Uh, 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 the Charles Shen Yadan Prize is, uh, is given annually, um, and uh, edX just uh, won that prize. We're really delighted and honored uh, to have won it, and it re- reflects the innovations happening uh, with edX, our learners, our um, 140 uh, institutional partners and uh, the pivotal role of founding partners MIT and Harvard played in education. This is a recognition of um, all of this amazing work. Uh, we are going to be using the uh, $3.9 million that comes as a result of the prize to continue furthering our work at edX. It's fantastic. Congratulations on that. It really is extraordinary. And I'm so delighted also that you're going to be joining us for the CER 25th Anniversary Summit in Miami on October 26th. Uh, For those people who are listening and want to join us, uh, they can get more information at reform.com. But Anant is one of um, a select few innovators who will be there talking about this and trying to carve out the next pathway so that all learners at all levels can have access to this. So thank you for agreeing not just to um, join us at the end of October, but to be my guest today, Anand Argarwal, CEO of edX. Well, thank you very much, Jeannie. It's uh, um, always uh, energizing to chat with you, and I really look forward to um, the event, the CER event, at the, at the end of October. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And my guest again has been Anant Agarwal, the CEO of edX and a phenomenal innovator in the world of higher education. You can access more information about edX and Anant uh, at edreform.com. And of course, uh, our partners at National Review Online. Listen and subscribe to Reality Check on edreform.com, National Review Online, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere podcasts are heard. Find out more at edreform.com slash reality check.